Hey, what's up? It's Denia Azure. Be sure to follow me all over social media at Denia Azure. D-A-N-A-Y-A-A-Z-U-R-E. And like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Denia Designs for you. Facebook.com forward slash Denia Azure Radio. And be sure to subscribe to me on YouTube. Just type in Denia Azure. Daryl Cabot, and you are tuned in to Denia Azure Radio. Alrighty, and welcome to the Niger Radio. Hello, Daryl. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am phenomenal. So I'm so glad that you were able to come on. You're always doing some, so many incredible things. So I'm super, super excited to have you here today. How was your holiday? Oh, uh, holidays were. Interesting. I, you know, I had a, I, I was, I got the Amarion, um Corona thing, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. so I was quarantined for during Christmas, yeah, and um, and then uh, New Year's was New Year's Eve was was pretty cool, and uh, you know, just a short couple of days after my my wife's birthday is on the second of January, so uh, you know, Christmas. New Year's Eve, new you know, your New Year's and that's her birthday. So we uh we went to a um on let's see, on Christmas Eve we went to um it was a actually yeah, maybe it wasn't Christmas Eve, maybe the day before we went to a uh, Gary Owens uh had a special down in Dallas. So it was right. super funny, like uh Country Wayne was there, uh Lavelle um Croft what is it, Lavelle Crawford that guy. Um Gary Owens, of course, and then that, that one lady, uh, Luinda, whatever her name is, um, the bl- older black oh, lady Linnell. that has, like, my Linnell, yep. She yep, was there. Linnell. We've actually had her on the show before, so that's awesome. Really? Was, yeah. Was she, was she, like, very vulgar? And... <laughs> it was funny. What was it? Oh, my God. I think it was 2013. It was crazy because she was talking about being a part of Trans- uh, Transylvania. So she wasn't super vulgar because she was talking about a Disney film, but <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, man, because uh, man, she was out of man, she she had every guy there that she was just like, hey, if your girl is talking about she's going on a girl's trip with Jamaica, let me tell you what you need to look out for, and so we all leaning in and oh no, she, uh, yeah, man, <laughs> welcome to Jamaica. She said, yeah, man. <laughs> So we were. I don't need to. I don't need to embellish anymore. Right. I got you. I got. I'm, I'm trust looking, me. I'm looking at my I, wife. I and I'm you. like, uh, you ain't got no trips planned to make anytime soon, do you? You know, like <laughs> because if you do, uh, cancel them. We ain't going. <laughs> Over it's my like, no, no way. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. It is. Take the kids. Uh, do like a, a scene two. Um, so we have three children, so we went to sing, sing too, and, um, I oh, felt nice. hate for, for some of it, but it, it was good, but, uh, you know, just doing a family thing and a little mixture of some, uh, adult stuff, some adulting, oh, was, uh, and sickness, so I, I had a full range experience over this uh, holiday season. Awesome, sauce. that's, that is definitely what's up. And Daryl Cavett is my guest here on Denia Azure Radio. I actually met Daryl Cavett in the 413. He always comes with this amazing energy and talking about, you know, financial freedom and, you know, and, and how important that is to to know about your finances and, and know how to reach your goals. So I was like, I'm like, I definitely have to have him on because he's doing so many incredible things. So. What first piqued your interest about getting into the world of finance? Mm, interesting question. So, um, I uh, I'm from, you know, I I come from a place like many minorities, man, from a, uh, from a place of scarcity and uh, poverty and and um, you know, and uh, you know, I always had an imagination. It was a way of escaping. Uh, you know, what was right in front of me, uh, you know, which was pretty bleak. And so, you know, you lose your stuff in books. 
<clears throat> and, uh, you know, for me, my dad uh, worked for the Federal Reserve, but, I mean, he worked, like, in the check cashing or clearing um, department, so not any, he wasn't, like, a normal, you know, economist, you know, you know, by trade or anything like that, but he, um, you know, he was a very well-read individual, and, you know, he was always watching CNBC and, you know, shows like that, uh, Bloomberg, and he always read the Wall Street Journal, you know, he had like a series of value line, which is, used to be like these big box sets of, uh, you know, charts and graphs of stocks and mutual funds, and you call it value line. And, I mean, it is, you know, biographies of like um, uh, just, you know, people in the time, you know, like Alan Greenspan, he had his, uh, and this other type of individuals. And so that's kind of where it started from. My dad bought me a book uh, when I was probably 12 called uh, Wall Street Made Simple. And uh, I didn't read it like cover Mm -hmm. to cover, but I read through most of it. And it was just fascinating. It was just kind of like a puzzle. It was like, you know, and you just wanted to compete. You know, you just wanted to kind of like, you know, be in a battle of the wits type stuff. You know, know, growing up in inner city, you're kind of, for whatever reason, man, I kind of see myself as an underdog. I think, you know, a lot of us do um, that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. people look down at you and treat you like you're second-class citizen. Hell, even the people that lived there that was not living much better than us thought they were better than us, you know. And so you kind of got a chip on your wow. shoulder. So you just kind of you kind of want to, you know, beat them, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I wasn't going to beat them, you know, gunplay. I was going to beat him with my mind, um, and so that's kind of where it was. It was, a, it was it was a mixture of all those things: wanting to escape, wanting to be somewhere else, wanting to compete at a level that I wouldn't get me killed, and then also want to compete in a place that was just in my mind, so they didn't know what I was doing, coming up with, or thinking, masterminding, et cetera, et cetera, and it just provided an uh, an avenue. And then one thing led to another, and you just meet different type of mentors. And went to the military, came back, and um, and then when I was an undergrad, you know, I just decided to do economics and political science. Um, you know, I wanted to go to law school, and I thought I did at that time. And economics just kind of did it for me. I mean, it was just something about it. I loved it. It had the right mixture of math. It had the right mixture of just you know history had the right, you know, uh, applied mathematics, really. And um, it made sense to me. The political science didn't. By the time I got my senior year and I started getting into, like, constitutional law and things like that, I was kind of over it. But economics was just one of those things I just loved. I could read it all day. I read the Wall Street Journal every single day. No one had to tell me to read it. I, I would, you know, back then, you know, Mad Money was a show, Fast Money was a show, and I basically kind of came like my dad. You know, I had an extensive library. I would read anything and everything I could get my hands on. And then, you know, about 2007, um, I got a job at Fidelity Investments, and that just made it worse, right, because you know, I got my investment licenses. I had access to all this data, information. I had access to portfolio managers. I had access to all these smart people. I would read through mutual fund guides. Things be three, two, three hundred pages thick. I'd read their bios and just uh, read about their credentials, read about the markets, you know, be on the Fidelity website, you know, anything and everything you can find, you know, about, you know, um, uh, like uh, what was happening in the markets, you know, um, you know, just getting lost in graphs, getting lost in like trading software and trading myself, swing trading, day trading, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, when I was younger. And that's it, man. It just, it never left me. It was just kind of something that, you know, morphed into life of its own. And and it, interestingly enough, everyone would always be like, <clears throat> oh, man, you're so smart. You're so this, you're so that. And I never, I never felt that way. It, it's kind of like, it's like breathing, you know, it's just, you're, we're all just into what we're into. It just happened to be something that, you know, when I finally realized that everybody wasn't into it, you know, because you you think everyone's kind of like you. You think everyone's doing what you're doing. I mean, 
at a high level, I suppose, and it's just when you find out that that's not and that things that I thought were commonplace or normal was not normal. Um, it, it was not a, but a few people that actually um, had that information, that knowledge, and, um, you know, so forth and so on. So when I figured that part out, that's when I knew I could commoditize it and, uh, you know, people would, you know, I could package it up and sell it and make money off of it. And just by being myself, just doing what I do, you know, curating, reading white papers and, you know, reading books and, you know, whatever, you know, whatever I do, you know, to that I do in my normal everyday living um, was, uh, you know, being people were really willing to pay for it. And uh, and I just thought, just, man, you know, all right, you want to pay me for reading the Wall Street Journal every day of my life since I was, you know, in college? Cool. Go ahead. <laughs> like, <laughs> so <clears throat> that is, and then, you know, and then and the information just start coming out, you know, because, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to master master something. Well, you know, you know for that long, you talk about 20, 30,000 30, uh, hours of just stuff that's in your head, you know, that you've been, you know, programming yourself and, you know, how you train. and I won't even necessarily say you're training yourself, but in some ways you are because, you know, we are what we consume. And whether that's valuable and people's willing to, you know, uh, you know, barter that for, you know, whatever it looks like, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's, in, it's in and of itself its own reward. And that's that, that's pretty much it. So it was, it was it was pretty much like that. That's kind of how it worked for me, or how it happened to me. More or less happenstance, uh, uh, right place, right time, and I had you know, and, and it piqued my interest, and so I just stuck with it. <laughs> that's the long, drawn out example, right? That's definitely the stuff. I love it. I love it. So, what is one of the main obstacles? that you have had to overcome by choosing this career as a person of color? You know, honestly, um, I had to realize uh, yourself. I, 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 I see, I think we all project a lot. We really do. All of us. It doesn't matter. White, black, uh we tend to think people uh, care more uh, or are paying more attention to it than they actually do. I think most people don't really care, you know, um, whether you win or fail, <laughs> you know. And if it doesn't impact or affect them, they could care less. I think for me, I um, the greatest obstacle was getting out of my own head. I'd go to some of these conferences and I'd literally think that I was the poorest person there, the dumbest person there. No one wanted to do business with me. I'm black, you know, you know, this, I didn't have this pedigree. I didn't go to Harvard and go to Yale, you know, with Goldman, you know. And and it's just like I was projecting, you know, my insecurities onto what other people were thinking about me. I don't know that those people believe. I mean, whatever, right? And so when I was able to get out of my own head and just, like, focus on, you know, adding value, um, you know, and then just trusting um, what your training was and that, you know, look, man, if if I'm able to do this, then I could do that. You know, that's when you start having to have those internal conversations, internal dialogues in your mind to convince yourself you know, that you're good enough and that you belong. And mm. um, that is a personal odyssey, a personal exodus, a personal journey that one has to go through. Everyone has to go through it. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, rite of passage of uh, accountability, personal responsibility, perseverance. No one's gonna escape that process, you know. 
and 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 and, and achieve long lasting success, right? Um, everyone has to go through it. Your mom, can, I mean, you know, if you were, you know, I mean, there's people that can ride the coattails of their family. So I mean, I don't want to, you know, but for like the people that didn't come from, you know you know, much, didn't have a lot of resources, no one was just kind of there kind of holding their hands to the process necessarily. That, that I would say that would have been the big, biggest obstacle is just, you know, convincing yourself that you're good enough. And once you get there, it's, it's, it's all downhill, man. Nobody can stop you. When you realize that you are the only one that can stop you, man, the sky is truly the limit, you know? Absolutely. And Barrel Cabot is my guest here on tonight as your radio. So you go super hard for your clients. What would you say is the main motivation for the passion that you put into your work? Say that one more time. I, 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 I guess I'm kind of not following. So like you like you like I noticed that you go hard for your clients. So what is your mm-hmm. passion behind um how hard you go for your clients? Selfishly, man, I just like it. <clears throat> I don't know. I think for me it's uh I just like uh you know, solving problems, you know? And uh and solving people's problems are like helping people um, get to where they're going. It's, uh, it's fuel, and that's where the selfish part comes in at. It's fuel. Nothing more addictive than, um, you know, seeing someone, like, stretch out, you know, and grind and, and, and go through that the the the, the self doubt and the processes and, and so forth for someone not, not knowing they can get there or achieve it. And to be a part of that to see them on the other side and be, you know, man, that is what I'm chasing, right? And uh it's it's a high, it's a natural high. Uh, that's why I say selfishly, right? You know, so that is why I mean <clears throat> I don't know. Other than that, I think it's just, you know, I want to win. I want to win. I want to win with people. I want people to win. I want to see people meet their goals. That's just something, you know, I don't know. I think it's on all of us, really, but it's just the way I see it, right? And um, so there you go. Definitely. What would you, what is one of the biggest mistakes? that people make when they're pitching to venture capitalists? Mm, I'd say, um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, people have this mentality that they want, that they think someone's going to come and save them. Um, I've seen people like not go all the way. I'll give you an example. They're like, prototype something and they'll stop there thinking that some man my idea is so good you know Uber just gonna come through and just buy this bad boy like if I mean they're coming to me right I'm like okay have you sold this to anybody you have any contracts I mean I ain't get that I haven't did that part yet because you know because Uber's gonna come in it's gonna buy me out I actually had somebody say something like that. Oh, I need to get to myself. <laughs> I'm thinking like, man, you smoking crack? Google ain't coming in here, man. Like, you got to get this thing going, just right. in case Uber don't come. <laughs> you know, like you got to go out and build that thing, man. You you know, but it was more like it was a smoke screen. I'm gonna build out a shell and wait the cavalry to come. Nah, it's more like you got to move in a way. There ain't nobody coming to save you. It's going to happen. Oh. It's going it's to happen because I'm going to do it. That is what attracts people. People are attracting yeah. people who don't need them. 
I think that is probably people's biggest misconception. Now, I don't think everyone is like that. And I, don't, and I think it's probably just, you know, <clears throat> I don't think people intentionally do it. But for the people mm-hmm. that struggle to raise capital, that's usually uh, it, it's one of the reasons that it typically happens. It's just not compelling enough that you haven't put enough irons in the fire. You haven't, you know, went all in or at least haven't proceeded to go all in, right? right. And, uh, you know, anyway, so that's what I see. I've seen, you know, go for it, make it happen. Who are you talking to? you have any contracts? Like, you know, like, come on, man, try to connect. You know, uh, a, a buddy of mine, when I was younger, we was all, you know, kind of playing a pickup basketball um, game just to kind of drive the point home. And, um, we were all playing a pickup basketball game, and I, someone passed me the ball, and I just threw it up. And, uh, I mean, a complete air ball, right? I wouldn't even think I was, mm-hmm. this is, I was young or whatever the case may be, and I don't know, I was, just start hooping with these guys, you know, kind of scared of them, you know, gangster guys, tough kids, new to the area, and I just shot the ball up, just threw it up. Air ball. And the guy named was William Mitchell. He says, hey, man, Daryl, when you shoot the ball, shoot it for it to go in. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, you're not just shooting. Don't just shoot to shoot. Like, the goal is for the ball to go in the basket. Mm-hmm. Get it? And like, sometimes people, I think they're just kind of like, um, posturing, moving to move, but not really moving with intent. Right. You Definitely. Know, that's the biggest thing, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, are they intentional? Are they trying to get the ball in the basket? Or are they just shooting the ball up? You know? Yes, because there's a huge difference for sure. Yeah, yeah. intentionality, yeah, absolutely. Like, man, you just threw the ball up, man. You ain't even try to get the ball in the basket. You just want it to look mm-hmm. like you was getting the ball in the basket. Precisely. <laughs> and there I have it in my guest here on the Naya Azor Radio. If someone wanted to get into the finance industry, what is one piece of advice that you would give them to get started on the right path? Well, that's a hard one because there's so many different paths. I would say don't try to, you know, just start somewhere. I see people, man, like try to get it perfect and, you know, three years, five years on pass by and they still ain't moved yet because they just, you know, trying to figure it out. Man, just do something, you know, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Um, but this idea that I got to get it right, life's the journey, man. Um, where I started at, I did not end that. I, when I went into financial services at Fidelity, I thought I was going to be a financial planner and be in an office in one of the branches and arrive to get my CFP, which you now stands for Certified Financial Planner designation. Completed all the coursework too with Kaplan and everything. I, you know, I was I had to go sit for the exam. Thought up. That's where I thought I was going to be, financial advisor. That was my holy grail. Right. Right. Well, I'm not a financial advisor right now. I mean, I don't even have my investment licenses anymore. I'm in the private equity world. I run a private equity firm. I didn't even know what private equity was when I was just getting into business back in July of 2007. I heard about it every once in a while. You know, you see paper about some big private equity deal, but didn't really know what they did. How I didn't think you could get there unless you went to like a top selective B school. You know, that was kind of my mentality, thought process. You know, so mm-hmm. just get going. <clears throat> Life will take you all different types of places, but you just gotta move and be. Receptive, don't be static or, or, or inflexible, is what I was looking to really say. Be agile, be nimble, be open, 
I mean, you know, don't just be all over the damn place, but, you know. Right. Be strategic That's in some true. ways. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, more than anything else, I would say, hey, just get going, man, because where you, you don't even know your yourself 10 years from now and what life will mm. take you or whatever. So it's just like, why wait? Move. I love that. Why wait? Move. I love that. So talk about how being on Clubhouse has changed your life. Hmm. Well, you know, what was interesting about Clubhouse is when I got on, the world I am, because we're all in our own eco chambers, but the world I am, um, I was a small fry, you know? Like, I, and so it was this conference I spoke of, this family office conference in my, you have to have raised at least $100 million to even speak at this conference. It was a conference put on by this guy by the name of Richard Wilson, familyoffices.com. If you ever want to go check it out. And I've been going to this guy's conferences for years, since 2016. And raised a little over $280 million in this conference I spoke of. I think the top guy had raised like 30 something billion. I was on the bottom of the totem pole. So I'm not thinking I'm doing anything, you know. I'm not allowed to cuss on here, I'm sure, but I almost cussed. You are. And I didn't think I was doing shit. Then I went on Clubhouse, and, man, these people was praising the person who did one host, like a few wholesale deals. I'm like, hold on. I raised $247 million. I got, at that time, like a 1,000 friends on this thing. This person got 20000 He did three flips. How the hell? So at that point, I was like, I couldn't. I didn't understand the the power of self-promotion. Mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, uh, and I just kind of put my head down. When I worked at Fidelity, we couldn't even really say that we worked at Fidelity. I think you had to say, like, they had all, when you had your investment license, it was like all these things you can do when it came, because, you know, social media was still kind of getting around, and um, and they, they had all these rules on what we could and cannot say, and you just have to be real right. careful, and you have to say all these disclaimers about, okay, these are not opinions of, the, these are my opinion. You know, this all that kind of stuff. I just kind of stayed away from it. So I wasn't on right. Facebook and all these things really saying anything about what I did at work or anything like that. It just, you know. Uh, but the younger generation – or people who did other things like, you know, entertainment, things like that. I mean, they could be loud if they want to be. And 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 when people were able, you know, seeing it up close and seeing that people were monetizing it. So, I mean, I've only been on Clubhouse for years, so to say it changed my life, I mean, I think that's a little overdramatic. But it did kind of one of those things. It was a, it was a shift in my mindset from the least – a tactical perspective of, hmm, interesting. And so at the end, you know, I did a few rooms, made some money off of uh, uh, Clubhouse, um, actually. And uh, while we were on it, I didn't answer the phone, but hopefully we're the new owners of this hotel that we acquired. For, you know, if they signed the, the documents for $2.5 million, that came out of Clubhouse. Um, made about a hundred thousand in retainer fees off of Clubhouse. I mean, but I can do that without Clubhouse. <laughs> it's just easily acceptable, right? To get on there and. But that's what I'm saying. Like uh, I think, and that's what I think people don't understand is that like the way that you're spitting it off, like you know, uh, like even you said, like yeah, I made two hundred, two hundred eighty million, this and that, and I'm sitting here like, and you thought that wasn't significant. <laughs> You know what I mean? Not, it's, not it's if you're funny. around people that did twenty and thirty billion dollars. You know, <laughs> you're dropping a bucket. But, people don't even know your name. I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm not playing. Like in in that world, crazy. I was beyond insignificant. You know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's like you can be something. You see, it's like <clears throat> like if you're playing in the NFL, that's one level. I mean, just think, look at it like, you know, you got people working for Blackstone and, 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 and doing, you know, 
billion dollar deals. Mm-hmm. You come in there talking about I raised two hundred and you know eighty million dollars, man, get out of here. And it's like that. <laughs> and that's how I see myself as a, a little nobody. Until I went on Clubhouse. <laughs> right. I was like, because like, right, I remember, no, but so it's funny. I was like, I remember when he in the 413, he talked about that. And we, um, like, the whole, when I say the whole room was silent, we was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? You know, you see, but the dopest part about it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. it's Everything's relative, man. It was, and, and, and it, when you, you know, it's like, Everything is truly relative, honestly. So, um, I, and my mind is still very much the same too. I'm more often not thinking that it's anything than I am thinking that it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, people have to tell me, "Hey, Daryl, that was amazing." I'm like, "Oh, it is mm-hmm. okay." <laughs> you know, so I mean, I literally have to live vicariously to other people's perspective about it. Because my perspective mm-hmm. about it is not, it's no big deal. You know, like. Right. And that's the crazy you know, part. You know, I think that's what makes, but that's what makes, <laughs> but that's what makes you so awesome is that, you know, you're so personable. You're so respectful. You're so, so respectful. I think what happens is a lot of people will get to that level and forget about everyone. Like, if you're not, if you're not making this much money, we can't even talk to you. And so the fact that you're still, so um so personable and and so willing to help people and all of that is is a blessing and that's what makes you you and that's what makes you stand out and that's why people are attracted to what you're doing because it's your energy and you and you always come across as incredibly genuine and everything that i've seen what's funny about clubhouse is that some people will change from room to room like their whole attitude will change there'll be one way in one room and you go to a different room and you're like who was that person you were completely different in this room like you did a whole Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation here. But with Daryl, every single room that I've seen him in, it's always the same energy. It's always the same passion. It's, you know, always the same vibe. And I truly appreciate that about you for sure. No, and look, I love hearing it. I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, and I really do, right? I can't even act like a, it's not uh, something that people that I don't like to hear, you know, it's like, okay, cool, man. I really do. Um, you know, again, I came from humble beginnings, uh, and it's always really one of those emotional things to me, man, because my mom, she passed before, you know, when she passed, you know, I was, I mean, I, I wasn't doing bad, you know, I was, you know, still corporate, you know, I was burning midnight oil, doing the self-employed thing, you know, I was making six figures, but I wasn't, you know, I, I, was, I was still in grind mode, had my head down, and... Mm. Um, you know, she got sick and that mm-hmm. kind of changed up some things for me too, because, you know, it was like, uh, she was, she, she passed within two months, you know, being diagnosed with stage wow. four colon cancer. And it was just like that. And it changed my whole paradigm of life, man. It really did, you know, have some marital challenges, you know, my career went into a toilet, you know. And, um, you know, for a brief time. And, you know, it was just kind of like kind of coming out from that, you know. And, um, you know, I don't know. You know, just you bottom, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know um, I don't know, man. My mom was the person, she would give the shirt off her back. She didn't have much, man. She really didn't. When we were cleaning out her apartment when she passed, I'll never forget it, man. It just brought tears down my eyes because I was so focused on what I was doing. And, uh, I mean, I would give my mom money from time to time and things like that. So it wasn't like that, you know. But, you know, know, my mom was a hoarder. She was, you know, paranoid schizophrenic. So, you know, she, Mm -hmm. you know, that was just one of the things. So we're cleaning out her apartment. And I seen, like, one of her, OW2s. She had made like all of $4,000. I just wept. Wow. I felt like I just failed her. You know? She had such a hard life. Um, and 
you know, all of our kids, you know, all of us, five of us, you know, you know, one went to, you know, jail, you know, everybody graduated from college and nobody got any trouble. Four of us were married, four of us homeowners, you know, I, you know, became a millionaire and, <clears throat> you know, all that good stuff. And, um, and so, you know, we are her offspring, I mean, you know, but we had some tough days, man. We were really tough days. Me and my brother used to cherry pick his clothes. I uh, had us, you know, really start off really young, man, working, you know. I, I was working. Mm-hmm. I've worked ever since I was 12 years old. You know, I, as soon wow. as I got out of school, six days a week I worked. So uh, the time they dropped me off, when we, drop, when we get home from school, they pick us up. This guy named Calvin would pick us up, take us to, like, you know, just different areas, drop us off, we'd sell candy. I didn't get home until about 9, 9.30 Saturday. Couldn't come home until we sold at least 30 boxes. Sometimes you make yourself 50 boxes. I, I remember one time, I, he picked up at 8 o'clock. I didn't get home until about like 11, 30, 12 o'clock. I mean, that only happened like once. Right. He was being you know, a dick because I was tired that day. I, I wanted to stay home and play Madden, you know, tired. Yeah. And he wouldn't let me come home until I sold at least the boxes and so you know I started off slow just kind of moping around not really wanting to do it and, you know had a I mean this guy's serious it got to a point I was so late he he basically said um take some of your tips and ride the bus home so I had to ride the bus home to get wow. back to my side of town it only happened once but like outside of the and then you know when I was 15 I was probably about 12 13 when that happened on a whole other side of town. I mean, it is yeah. kind of what it was. It was, I mean, at that point, you're not really thinking about the danger or whatever the case would be because it's not like this bullet slide. You know, it wasn't like I was in the hood. I was, I, I, it was taking us out of the hood, an opportunity to make some money, and we kept all right. the tips. And so it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, a bad or anything like that. But so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you, you just never forget that stuff, and um, and it was five of us. I was the second to the youngest. You know, anything I could do to help my siblings out, you know, I just kind of, you know, my mom, uh, you know, that's what we saw, and that's what, you know, all of us are like that in our own ways, and, um, you know, because she was kind of like the example, you know, of that, and that's what she embodied, right. that's who she was, and that's what we saw. My mom wasn't pretentious. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't above anybody. I mean, she would, I remember she would go make food and take it to homeless people, you know, that, you know, people that it didn't matter if they were on drugs or what they had going on because she knew, you know, I don't know, like maybe it was just who she was, but like at the same time, you know, she be at the MHMR clinic with him, you know, she, she was, mm-hmm. uh, pretty uh severe i mean she you know she'd had nervous breakdowns and she'd have her episodes and things of that nature and she was paranoid schizophrenic man so she know she knew what it was to be marginalized as well and we knew what it was like having a mom that was being marginalized right because we were her kids so when i was right. younger it was embarrassing but when she passed away you know i mean it was even you know probably before then you know, but, you know, after after people, you know, your loved ones are gone and stuff, you know, and you, you get older, your perspective changes, you know, you appreciate them in a way, you know, that you, you know, that I couldn't have when I was 10 or 11. I mean, I loved my mom, but it was just like, you know, I, I tried my best not to get in trouble because <clears throat> she didn't have a car. So if I got in trouble and got suspended or whatever, she'd have to walk up to the okay. school and I, you mm. know, I, that's embarrassing. You know, you said very, you know, especially if you're ninth grade, you try to knock on some girls and your mom's walking up to school. Oh, I see y'all post. <laughs> <laughs> give me my number back. <laughs> Don't call me. Come on. Oh, man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Uh, y'all post. You know, like, y'all post. Are your mom walking with us? Oh, yeah, me, you know. Uh, <laughs> me? Y'all post. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going through some hard times right now, but you know we're gonna be all right. Right, you know? yeah, that's right. That's okay, I understand. Lose my phone number though. Oh, okay. You don't want me to call you. <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and uh, I won't call you. You know, but if you change your mind, you know, I'm 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 available. Mm. You know, 
<laughs> I'm gonna go talk to Billy Ray. He got the car. Yeah. Uh, All twenty four. <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay, well, you go ahead and enjoy Billy Ray then, you know, I'm gonna get my education. I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> yeah. So you know. <laughs> Maybe that's where the humility comes from. I don't know. Yeah. I love I love the way that you talk about um your family and you know, and talk about like like what you what you started out as and but that but that, I think that is where it comes from in terms of supporting people and giving back the way that you do. That's super awesome. So what's next? You've done like so many things. What's next for Daryl Habits? You know, right now, um, I, I really enjoy, like, I, I don't know, you know, just right now is just more of the same, you know, honestly. Uh, I want to do more with, just more stuff with my family. Like, you know, there was a, there was a few years there that I just uh, overworked. Um, when I left corporate, which was back in July 2019, completely. Because uh, I was always doing my own thing. And it was first of there when I was, you know, just self-employed only. But when I completely cut the biblical cord, and I was, I literally just kind of went into grind mode. <laughs> and it really uh, was tough on the family and caused a lot of mm-hmm. marital um, strife. And, you know, and then, you know, your kids are getting older and, so forth and so on. They're wanting to spend it, and, and you're not really realizing because you're just kind of like zoned in. And I look right. up, and my daughter was like, shoot, taller than her mom. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> and, like, what you know, Exactly. This, it didn't stop. And um, I remember one time, it was actually this, it was uh, last semester, you know, maybe about four or five months went by, and I, you know, I didn't read with them and stuff like that. I used to always try to read with them, go and do their affirmation statements. I try to be as consistent with that as possible. And right. um, and, and there was a time that I went, I don't know, I, I, maybe it's five, six months. I don't exactly know how long, but you know, one time I was like, hey, Gabby, you wanna, you wanna, um, you know, read? Uh, no thanks, Dad. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, dang, she's grown mm-hmm. up. She don't even want me to read to her anymore. I lot is right. It, 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 it was gone, you know. And I try to go to the seven year old. She said, "I'm a little too old for that, Dad." Like, oh my god! I'm like, dang, wow! It's a fucking little rejection there. I got two year old son. I'm like, well, he's a guy DJ, you know. He don't want me either, you know. He's like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me. I'm sorry. Um, for me, um, doing that, spending more time with my siblings. We lost our senior pastor last year, uh, Pastor Ricky God. He, he, he um, died of COVID. That was a tough one for me. It was very sudden out of nowhere. He had just became the senior pastor and been my spiritual leader, you know, for 14 years. Um, of course, my mom passed. Dad's getting older. My siblings were, you know, we, my mom was the glue for our family, and like many moms are, right. she was one that was nosy, you know. Hey, she call and check. Hey, call your brother and check on him. You know, he yeah. lost his job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after my, that, I'm sure my brother would hate me. Don't tell nobody I lost my job. <laughs> mom was, right. uh, you know, he he lost, he didn't want me to tell y'all this, but he lost his job. <laughs> you got any money you can give him? I'm like, Mom, right. you know, so just check in on them, and, you know. So, you know, when, you know, when my mom passed, it really wasn't that, you know, binding. My dad wasn't really like that. I mean, it's really right. more like to himself. And I mean, you know, he loves us, but it's not like my mom. Mom called you at 4 o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. First person to call you, you know, every time it was my birthday, my mom's calling me. Bye. Happy birthday, Daryl. She had a real high pitched voice. <laughs> you were born at yeah. five thirty eight in the morning. Whatever I was born. I don't even know when it was. But yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay, thanks, Mama. I'm about to go back to sleep. All right, I just wanted to tell you wanna be the first to tell you happy birthday. You know, okay. All right, Mom. I'm going back to bed now, you know. And so <laughs> you know, one of the things I wanted to do more of is just spend more time with my family, 
help my siblings. You know, they're they're working nine to five and things like that. I always wanted to be in a better financial position to where I can, like, help them, like, find things they really enjoy to do, if there's business they want to start. But, you know, I know Mm -hmm. that you can't really give it to somebody. You know, that it doesn't Mm -hmm. work that way, unfortunately. Kind of like how we talked earlier in the call, it's more of a, there's a rite of passage in all things, right? And uh, people got to want it. But Mm -hmm. that's where I'm at right now. More experiences, you know, man, 2021, man, it felt like the whole, half the world died, you know? All my mm-hmm. heroes passing away. So, man. and everyone looks like they aging. I'm aging. Mm-hmm. I'm 37, you know? Mm-hmm. Friends, you yeah. know, getting older and kids, you know, look up. Kid, I got two nieces graduating from high school, graduating from high school. I'm like, what? Right. I remember mm-hmm. when I just graduated from high school. They're graduating, mm-hmm. and now you're just seeing just a circle of life. Like, man, we're our parents. Yes. You know, and man, I'm knocking on fifty, and you start seeing your old shows, and uh, it was I, it was a show that I used to like <coughs> called Quantum Leap, and the guy that was oh like the dude that, that was yeah when he passed away last you know you and you know and you just you know this you you know that nostalgia that starts coming you start like and then your your parents my dad's still alive you know starting you know get a little slower got arthritis. Mm-hmm. This is to be the guy that I was scared of, you know? Right. So, yeah, you know, awesome. and now he's – so, the, anyway, I still have to say, what next for me? When you get out of what I call um, the survival mode of, you know, financial stuff, and, and, and you're on the other side of that, right, then to me it's just like, okay – how can you help other people get to where they're not, you know, living their life just always in survival mode, right? Mm. And what would they do if they weren't in survival mode? If they really was, you know, kind of like how we were younger and we were carefree, and I just really yeah. want people to be able to get back to that 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 childlike state, and um, yes. you know, that kind of thing, that and spiritual journey stuff, and you know. Getting more into my Bible, you know, we we grew up Christian, and <clears throat> my mom was very devout. And um, you know, so as you get older, you know, and you start thinking about when you were younger, and again, that nostalgia come in, and that's kind of the thing. What they say when you teach with them when they're young, and they get old, man, they won't part from it. They'll actually go back to it because it's like one of those. It's just kind of like one of those. Um, I don't want to say familiar place, but it's it is a place of comfort, right? Um, and it's a, sol- a place of solace, and um, so that's where I'm at right now in my journey in life. More of that, more deals, of course. I, I do like doing deals. I'm not gonna act like I'm <laughs> some type of Buddha or anything like that because I'm not. Do still like right. making money, but this what I do with it is. It's never really been for the vainglory of it in, in, in and of itself. Like, I don't necessarily care about materialistic things or name brand clothes or anything like that or any of that stuff. You know, I've got a pretty, live a pretty conservative lifestyle. But so, so, I'm, so that hasn't really changed. But, you know, outside of that, it's just, it does give me more time to uh, do the things that I enjoy doing. And to be more present okay. with my kids, and give those have that have the time to reflect and think on life, and you know, be zen like, you know. But anyway, that's that's just kind of where I'm at in my life right now. So you know, more of the Definitely. same, just doing the whole self actualized stuff. You know, that's definitely what's up. So tell everybody where they can find you. Do you want to book you to speak or, you know, take your courses or whatever? Uh, well, the courses aren't ready just yet. Will be uh, probably in the next month or so. Um, you know, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, you know, I've used them in the 413. That's probably the most consistent place I've been uh, in the last you know, four or five months, but the last kind of probably two, three weeks, not so much. I've just been getting really, really busy. And, but um, 
and or like um, I mean I am working on a personal website, but then our company website is uh, Daryl. Well, sorry, GenXCap.com, G-E-N-E-X-C-A-P.com, and um, yeah. So I mean, that, those are probably the easiest ways uh, to reach me. Um, and yeah, you know, other than that, you know, LinkedIn is probably the best way. I'm on LinkedIn more than on any other social media. You know, LinkedIn is my friend. So um, more so the Instagram or Twitter. It's uh, you know between LinkedIn and Facebook, and then I, the third would be Clubhouse. I'm not really on Instagram and Twitter, or TikTok, or any of those stuff. So there you gotcha. go. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much about you, and, and it is always a pleasure to see you in the four to be and see you in Black LinkedIn is thriving. Just uh, just uh, see your energy and to hear about all the amazing things that you are doing. And I thank you for everything that, that you're doing for so many people. And thank you for your humility. Thank you for all of your words of wisdom. No, I, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully I did did uh, did it justice. Most definitely. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said most definitely. Absolutely. Well, look. Anytime, anytime um, I can help or any any way, um, you know, let me know. And I, you know, again, I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me on. You are so very welcome. All righty. I guess that concludes it. Hey, what's up? It's Denia Azure. Be sure to follow me all over social media at Denia Azure, D-A-N-A-Y-A-A-Z-U-R-E. And like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Denia Designs for you, facebook.com forward slash Denia Azure Radio. And be sure to subscribe to me on YouTube. Just type in Denia Azure.